0: Good morning, church. The scripture reading for today is taken from the book of Mark, coming from chapter 14. I'll start reading from uh, verse 43 into Mark chapter 15 and stopping at verse 15. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out? as against a robber, with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. began again to say to the bystanders, This one is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately The rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answers, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for them for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. called the king of the Jews. And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: One of the early Negro spirituals that emerged from the fires of slavery was the song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. The earliest lyrics say, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. But with the development of the black church and the continual sufferings of black Americans, the lyrics to this spiritual were changed to Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. You see, it meant everything to the early black church that the Lord identified with them in their sufferings, abuse, and experiences of injustice. When they said that Jesus knew the trouble they'd seen, they were laying hold of hope and testifying. They were bearing witness to the depths of his love. They were bearing witness to the high priestly ministry of Jesus. They were bearing witness to his sustaining grace, and they were bearing witness to what Jesus had done to make the world right. Many of us, have had the experience of going through something difficult in our lives only to have a well-meaning friend say something or do something that missed the mark of good care and support. In fact, when you're a caregiver trying to help somebody in need, one of the most difficult things that you can hear from that hurting person is the phrase, you just don't understand. You don't get it. In these times, there is a felt helplessness on both sides because of the experiential gap. The caregiver feels like an additional sense of uselessness is laid upon them, while the sufferer feels an added layer of loneliness. But in our text for today, Mark the Evangelist is making an important connection for us as he drives closer to the conclusion of his gospel. It's the same connection that the early black church made, that Jesus knows the trouble we've seen. This is an important aspect of what the evangelist has to say about Jesus Christ. But it also carries great significance for the church, for anyone who would follow Jesus. So let's turn to the 14th and 15th chapters of Mark's gospel as we consider the sympathy of Christ and the sympathy of the church those are our two points so let's look at our first one the sympathy of christ one of the points that we have noted through this series is the fact that by the use of his language mark the evangelist has been racing to the cross he's been efficiently moving this narrative along without getting down in the weeds so that he can get the reader to the climax of his gospel. And as we arrive at this section of Mark's gospel, we are finally at the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. In a few short hours, Jesus will give up his spirit and surrender to death, but only momentarily. Yet, Mark's report of these final scenes leading to the cross are rich with significance. Mark is aiming at giving his audience a right understanding of Jesus so that they can gain a right understanding of following him. In his gospel, Mark is deeply influenced by the themes of the prophet Isaiah, and his gospel is presented as a fulfillment of Isaiah's new Exodus theme. And at the very beginning of his gospel, Mark overtly references Isaiah's prophecy when he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. But in our passage for today, Mark is subtly referencing the 53rd chapter of Isaiah's prophecy where the prophet says of Jesus, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Let that sink in for a second. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is what we are witnessing in this passage. Turn your focus to Jesus And consider the overview. Put your eyes on the text. In chapter 14, verses 43 through 51, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and abandoned. In chapter 14, verses 53 through 65, Jesus is falsely accused, slandered, judged, condemned, dishonored, mocked, abused, and assaulted. In chapter 14, verses 66 through 72, Jesus is denied. In chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is bound, arraigned, and interrogated. In chapter 15, verses 6 through 15, Jesus is sentenced to death by crucifixion. It's important to note that, technically, the first scene is not a trial. It's more of a charge-gathering phase. The beginning of chapter 14 lets us know that the objective of killing Jesus has already been declared. Now they are in search of a capital charge to take to the Roman prefect. And they settle on presenting Jesus to Pilate as a competing king, which Caesar would not tolerate. But Mark wants us to take all of the wonderful things that he has already told us about Jesus up to this point and to hear the dissonance with what is happening to him in these scenes. See the irony. The faithful one is betrayed. The liberator is arrested. Emmanuel is abandoned. The word made flesh is accused and slandered. The judge is judged. The Prince of Peace is abused and assaulted. The answer is interrogated. The Lord of Life is sentenced to die. But how could this be? Why is this happening to him? The answer echoes down through the ages from the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It's because of the sympathy of Christ, his willingness to take our pain into his heart and to bear in his body the suffering and sorrow that we experience in this sin-cursed world. In this moment, he has not yet become the sacrifice for sin, but he has indeed become a merciful and faithful high priest. This series of scenes is giving us an understanding of why the writer of Hebrews would say this for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Here we see Jesus identifying himself with those who feel defenseless in their situation. He is effective on behalf of the vulnerable because he himself knows that very vulnerability. Do you see it? There's not a struggle, nor sorrow, nor pain, nor infirmity, not a tear, nor a groan that Jesus does not share with us. And and how did Jesus bear our grief and carry our sorrows? He assumed our humanity. Do you see this very human, yet very divine Jesus in the text? The Son of God assumed our human nature without laying aside His own divine nature. In this way, He was not only able to feel and experience our suffering and grief, but He also possessed a deep awareness of how far the human experience is from where the human experience was meant to be in joyful union with God. In this way, his suffering was all the more magnified because he knew the disparity. And not only did he experience our sufferings as a true human being, not only did he experience our indignities and pains, he also carried our sins and their punishment. Our burdens were laid upon him, though he was sinless and innocent, as this text emphatically declares his innocence on the lips of different characters in the scenes. Jesus knew what it was like to be weary, to hunger and thirst, to be homeless and friendless, to be maligned, disrespected and slandered. He knew what it was like to be wounded by enemies, deserted by friends, to be taunted by men, to be tempted by Satan, to be forsaken by God. This is how he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. But Mark is saying to you and me, what is your grief and sorrow? Is it sin? Jesus canceled it. Is it sickness? Jesus carried it. Is it a broken body? Jesus assumed it to heal it. Is it loneliness? Jesus lived it. Is it anger, impatience, fearfulness, anxiety? Jesus bore the curse at the source of these afflictions. Has your love been rejected? Has your confidence been betrayed? Have you suffered cruel treatment? Have religious people hurt you? Jesus walked these dark paths before you, and He gets it. Is it poverty or humiliating circumstances? Jesus knew homelessness and his humiliation knew no bounds. Are you grieving loss? Jesus knew the feel of hot tears streaking his face when he stood at the graveside of his friend Lazarus, but he would sweat drops of blood and his mental health would crumble at the devastating idea of losing his relationship with his father. Do you have a criminal record? Well, in this passage, Jesus was in handcuffs, and if they had orange jumpsuits in the first century, Jesus would have been wearing one. Have you been arrested under false pretenses? Jesus understands your situation from personal experience. Have you experienced injustice? Behold the lynch mob having their way with Jesus as they drag him to the lynching tree known as the cross. No matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come from, I want you to see Jesus today as a Savior perfectly suited to your needs. You can search all over and you won't find anybody like him. Nobody can outdo His work. Nobody can outshine His glory. No one can outperform His promises. Nobody can outmaneuver His plans. Nobody can outsmart His wisdom. Nobody can outnumber His blessings. Nobody can outmatch His care. Nobody can outgun His protection. And nobody can outrun His love. There is nobody like Him. He is a high priest who is able to sympathize with you and present you before the Father without stain or blemish. There is no infirmity which Jesus did not bear before you, and there is no infirmity that Jesus did not bear for you. There is no more that he needs to endure to sympathize with you no rougher path for him to take, no deeper sorrow for him to experience, no more bitter cup for him to drink, no darker moment for him to face, no greater sin that he needs to carry in order to identify with you, understand you, comfort you, and save you. And it's this knowledge that awakens love and inspires our confidence and deepens our hope and renews our joy and releases our praise. And if Christ patiently bears and tenderly sympathizes with our infirmities, then we must be as patient and tender with our neighbors as they suffer theirs. This is what it means to follow Jesus and to be like him. And this brings us to our second point where we see the sympathy of the church. This text surely gives us cause for weeping and mourning over our own sin and our complicity in the sufferings and death of Christ. But it also gives us a vision for a new way of life. Remember, this is one of the major emphases in this gospel, and it is the theme of our series, Following Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is not terminated at an earlier point in this gospel. It carries through the entire story. This means that the narrative details that we are given here are not only meant to teach us about the life of Jesus, they are meant to give particular shape to our lives as his followers. It's meant to shape our perspective on suffering opening up our hearts to its redemptive potential. It's meant to shape how we deal with opponents. Jesus wouldn't even dehumanize or sin against the people who were torturing him, slandering him, and plotting to get him murdered. It's meant to lead us into the right kinds of trouble, the kind that is focused on benefiting our neighbors. You know that will get you in trouble when you seek the interests of your neighbors over your own. This series of scenes are meant to shape the way that we use our own power. Whether it's the power of our words in people's lives or the power of our influence, the power of our networks, or the power of our resources. And it also shapes how we are to deal with abusive power. We expose it, we confront it, and we work against it. We don't conceal it for the purposes of trying to protect something that is evil, we work against it. This text calls us to great courage in identifying with Jesus, naming ourselves as his people. It's not difficult to see in the text the negative light in which the disciples in general are cast for fleeing from Jesus, and the negative light in which Peter specifically is cast for denying Jesus. This passage gives us our ultimate pattern and paradigm for life and death. In following Jesus, our lives are to be poured out in love for God and neighbor, and we are to die in faith, regardless of when or how our end will come. The things we learn from the life of Christ in this passage help us to sort out so much of the civil religion that passes for Christianity from faithful, Christ-like expressions of being the church and being Christian. Take one example. There has been lots of ink spilled over the theme of justice over the last few years, and some well-meaning Christians have taken a defensive posture for fear that unbiblical ideas are going to creep in and corrupt the church. And they spend more of their time attacking fellow believers for their approaches to doing justice than they spend doing anything about injustice themselves. But this passage tells us if there is any people on the planet who should be sensitive to the realities of injustice and the often religiously veiled nature of injustice, it should be the people who find their just God suffering injustice at the heart of their scriptures. If there is any people on the face of the earth who should have ears for the cries of the afflicted, it's those who can hear the cry of their Savior in the mouths of the oppressed. Those who can see their Lord under the wheel of injustice on the pages of Scripture. That's in this text. This is the biblical text and what it's communicating to us. And if we know that Jesus submitted to injustice in such a costly way in order to bring it to an end, then we of all people should share the zeal of the Lord in this regard. And I'm gonna tell you something. As a Christian, I like the way some people are trying to do justice in Jesus' name much better than I like the way that others are not trying to do anything at all in Jesus' name. This passage is also intended to expose and humble all of us, leading us to repent and repair. When we see the distance between the faithful life of Christ and the lives that we live, it's mind-blowing the disparity. One of the surest signs of our sin and our guilt and our estrangement from Christ is that we are not touched with sympathy for the lamentable conditions of our neighbors like he is. If you are experiencing numbness in one of your limbs, you instantly know that something is wrong. But we can often go our whole lives with a numbness in our souls, failing to detect that something is wrong within us when we don't sense the pains and the sufferings of our neighbors. And we can take action today, allowing our hearts to be affected by the evil and violence being done against our brothers and sisters of Asian descent. We must grieve and lament this with them. We must bear their burdens as they fear for the safety of their parents and grandparents and children. We must stand with them in hope. We must labor beside them for change and we must stand face to face reminding them of how precious they are in the eyes of the Lord. They are his treasured possession and our deeply valued family. Let us rise in love and sympathy and support for our brothers and sisters and neighbors of Asian descent. We are to bear their burdens and afflictions and their sorrows and their infirmities as much as if they were actually our own. If your neighbor is wronged or wounded or slandered, if your neighbor is bereaved, afflicted or weighed down by some heavy load, you are to make that neighbor's wound, their affliction, their infirmity, your own. That burden is to be upon you as well. And that wound is to penetrate your heart as it penetrates their heart. Why? Because that is what Jesus did for you. This is what he did. This is what we're beholding on the pages of Scripture. Him carrying all the things that burden and sadden you, all the things that harm you and afflict you, they have been upon Christ. And how could he expect less of us when it comes to our neighbors? This is particularly the case within the household of God. But it's no less true for our neighbors who have different values and different commitments or a different worldview. The Bible says that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act or to line up our thinking with his before he was willing to bear our grief and carry our sorrows. Love takes the initiative. We are called to carry out his work, to continue his work in the world. That's our calling. In this passage, Mark lays the foundation for understanding what the sympathy of Christ means for the church. To put it plainly, by virtue of our union with Christ, with this sympathetic Jesus presented to us in this text, we, his people, are to share that very mode of sympathy with our friends and our neighbors. In this passage, Jesus willingly enters into the entire catalog of human grief and sorrow to redeem us from the curse so let the church of god continue this work of christ with the mind of christ through the spirit of christ for the glory of the triune god let's pray father son and spirit we give you praise for your word that searches our hearts that identifies our sin and our need, and then announces the hope that we can have in Jesus, the hope of cleansing, the hope of renewal, the hope of motivation and strength, the hope of sustaining grace. Lord, we need it all to be your people in the world. And Lord, we pray, asking your forgiveness on this day, for the ways in which our hearts have been numb to the cries and the sufferings of our neighbors. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our grievous sins and hardness of heart because we have failed to love our neighbors like you have loved us. Lord, forgive us. But don't just forgive us, renew us, change us, strengthen us, discipline us, get us on the way to the cross. Get us in cross-bearing mode so that we can bear witness to the hope of Christ. Lord, we want to pray once again a special grace over our brothers and sisters in our congregations who are of Asian descent, who are wrestling through all of the mix of emotions and the fears and anxieties and the concerns and having to put up with people who are even kicking them when they're down, telling them that they shouldn't feel the way they feel. Lord, we pray that you would rebuke the devil. We pray that the people of God would not allow the devil to use them and to grind their neighbors under their feet with their harsh comments and misunderstandings and ignorance lord we pray for our brothers and sisters that you would bear them up and we pray that we would be the instruments of you bearing them up we pray that you would show them your care and your grace and your mercy and we pray that your church in this country would push back against the darkness we pray for renewal and revival lord we ask it all in jesus name amen